Blog Talk Radio. Radio. How much do you love your job? You know, the work you do that pays the bills. Do you love it? Is it meaningful? Does it fill you with purpose and joy? 
Now, if you have answered no to any of these questions, well, you're not alone, but there is a way to break free and create joyful work that embodies love and compassion for yourself as well as the rest of the world. So stay tuned to learn more. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. This is a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology therapist at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest, Maya Durr, is a writer, organizational consultant, and coach for people going through life and career transitions. She draws on her years of Zen meditation practice and training in anthropology to create powerful tools for integrating mindfulness into the workplace and in clients' everyday lives. Through her workshops, retreats, online programs, and individual coaching, Maya has supported hundreds of people around the world to start or deepen a contemplative practice and to create work that matters. Welcome to the show, Maya. Thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being Uh-oh. Are you there? I can't hear you, Maya. I'm right here. Oh, okay. Hello. <laughs> yes. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? There I we can go. hear you now. Okay, yay. <laughs> um, let's, let's just blame it on Mercury and retrograde. I don't know if that's what it's yeah. doing, but we'll blame it on that. <laughs> I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, you're quite welcome. You know, you're first of all, it's fascinating the the work that you do. You know, Zen meditation, um, anthropology, all this stuff. It's just that alone was mind blowing. But your book, Work That Matters, is very unique in that, to me, it is a step by step guide that allows the reader to figure out what they love to do and then not just do it, but make a living at doing it, or as you call it liberation-based livelihood, and mm-hmm. you yourself, as many of us, have gone through life and career transitions. So what was it that made you decide to write this book? Yeah, well, it goes back to some early childhood memories. Probably that's true for all of us and our motivations, right? Um, mm-hmm. Also, I just want to make sure you can still hear me. You can hear me, right? I can, Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I think back on my childhood, one of my most formative experiences was um, was remembering that every almost every day my dad would come home from work and he would typically be pretty late. So my mom and I would be waiting at the dining room table. Food would be getting cold and he would finally come and he was almost always really unhappy. So he would sit at the dining room table and just be um, 
really frustrated about his work situation, about his boss. Uh, I just I felt a lot of unhappiness coming from him around his work. And that really made a big impact on me when I was growing up. Um, and, it, you know, he wasn't the only one. I would go over to my friends' houses and see their parents, and they had a similar experience. Uh, and then as I got to be of an age where I started to get my first job and my friends were getting work, you know, the, the general consensus was like, okay, let's just get this, get through it so we can get to the weekend. Um, you know, it was really something to be tolerated and not to be really enjoyed or savored. And something in me just really rebelled against that. I really wanted to find a way to have work be something that I could love. So that became a driving question in my life, um, and it really led me on a kind of wacky and wild tour of a lot of different careers and jobs until I figured out, you know, how to actually get the equation that served me. But that was where it went to, was all the way back in my childhood and wanting to do life in a different way and wanting to really have work be meaningful for me. Well, and I think that's true, that we all go back to something in our childhood that instigates, if you will, what we're going to do. But you're right. When I was a kid, you know, it was just have a job, make it to the weekend, and just have a job to pay the bills. That's what the job was all about. It wasn't about fulfilling a purpose. It wasn't about feeling good or having a purposeful mm-hmm. job or fulfillment of any kind. It was just pay the bills. That's, that's all everybody did. You know, only a few right. people got to do what they loved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually it's interesting as we're talking, I hadn't really thought about it before, but I, I bet you anything like that's at least in part an artifact of the working, you know, economic class that we grew up in. So it may be different mm-hmm. if you come from a family where there's more financial resources. You may actually get more of a download like, yes, you know, you really can do what you love. doesn't matter what it takes to get there. But I know, you know, I mean, my family was – you know, they weren't poor, but they were definitely like middle class. And so that just didn't seem to be part of, of the reality. It's like, you know, this is just a job. Like you need this to pay the bills. Don't have high hopes for it. Right. And and then just get the kids through to, if you were lucky enough to pay for your children's college or whatever, to you know be right. able to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, your book is, it's so funny that you said that, you know, I asked a lot of questions. And it's like, well, your book is based on asking questions. It's practical. It's inspiring. It's an exploration of the self through questions, exercises, and practices that, Mm -hmm. again, allows the reader to discover more about themselves and their real purpose. So I'm going to say that perhaps it opens up doors to things that one may not have even ever considered. Have you found that to Mm -hmm. be true? Absolutely. I mean, and actually this book had a life um, as an online course before it became a book. So I had the experience of getting to um, offer it to, you know, many people and watch them go through the course and see their transformation. So it was really such a delight for me to watch. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like I think this this process of inquiry and reflection and questioning um, for a number of people really opened up completely new possibilities that they would not have imagined. And I think it happens faster when you're – I'd like to say that everybody eventually gets to figure out what it is they're supposed to do and what their purpose is here on the planet, but I don't think that's true. So, so next that, I'm not going to say it. Right. But Sadly, it's I, not true. Yeah. yeah, it's not. But, you know, I do think for many people, things just – first of all, I think that everything leads to something else. So even though you might have a job that you think is really – you know, it becomes rote and it's boring and it doesn't have any challenge to it, Somewhere along the line, whatever you learned during that period of time, you're going to use in a future job or somewhere in your life. So I think that everything is is educational and is helpful and beneficial to you. But 
I think that we're also offered various choices. And regardless of what we choose, each one is guidance toward our destiny. But depending upon what we choose, it might take longer. It might be a longer approach to get there. Whereas with your book, it's a means to get there faster, regardless of Mm -hmm. where you are on your journey. So anybody at any point can pick up your book. And if they follow the process you offer, they'll make changes that will lead them to a much happier and satisfying livelihood. And having said that, I mean, I believe that that's true. If you agree with that, what's the first step a person should take if they're not loving or feeling fulfillment with their work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I would absolutely agree with you. Said, well, for what you said, and that—that that is my hope for the book is that it does, you know, offer people that journey to help accelerate the process. Um, so one of the first steps that I would recommend is just I think it's important to get clear on, you know, where you're at in this process. And actually it comes later in the book. Maybe I should move it forward in the book. But but I talk about what I call the three pathways to liberation-based livelihood. Um, and it's not like any one of these is right or wrong, right? It's just like naming where we're at. And, if you know, somebody could read my book this year and be on one of those pathways. If they read it three years from now, they might be on a different one. And, you know, it requires a different kind of approach and strategy. Um, but so, you know, step number one is really understanding, okay, so where are you at in this process? And the three pathways that I talk about, the first one is, I'll call it plan your exit strategy. Um, and it's often the first one that most of us think of when we think about, you know, job and career transitions. It's like, get me the hell out of here, right? <laughs> so that, that's definitely one. But I think it's, it's interesting because I think it's often overused. Um, and certainly when I look back on my life, my professional life, which is where a lot of the wisdom from this book comes from is my own mistakes, right? Uh, But there were a number of times where I actually jumped out of careers or jobs, and I think I actually didn't do my own due diligence. Uh, So what I would find out was that, you know, I, I might move into a different job or a different career, and it was great for six months or a year, and then I would find myself running into the same frustrations, just like, you know, in a new form, right? So I think that first pathway, it's really important to understand, um, you know, what exactly is it that's driving you to wanting to change your current situation? And sometimes there's really legitimate reasons. You know, sometimes you're in a work situation where um, you're not able to actually express what I call your core intention, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Or maybe you're working in a situation, you know, for example, like say you're a vegetarian and you work in a butcher shop. So every day you're going to go in and you've got kind of like a moral dilemma about your job because the values that you hold are in direct contradiction to your workplace, right? So those are situations where I think it really is important to plan your exit strategy. Um, But a lot of times I think there's actually ways that we can grow through where we're at and we need to grow. And that's the second pathway. So I call that um, learning how to love the job you've got. So, you mm-hmm. know, that might mean like, you know, really identifying what is it, you know, there's, there's actually things about my current situation that do work for me and what is it I need to shift so that it could work for me much better. And that might be doing something uncomfortable, like, you know, going to your boss and asking for a raise or act, asking for flex time or, you know, maybe a new exciting assignment that you work on. Um, so, you know, maybe that's what it would take for you to get into a place where you're in right relationship with your work. 
And then the third pathway is that maybe you're actually ready to start something entirely new. You know, that could be like starting your own business or actually going back to school and training for a new career. Um, so that, that newness is you're ready for it and you've done the due diligence to know that it's time for that. So I would say the first step is really understanding which of those three pathways you're on um, and then the kinds of actions you take will flow from that. And creating the work that you love, to me, that's the hardest one. Mm-hmm. Because we can be, yes, we can be, and I uh-huh. say this because Oprah used to say all the time, find your passion and then do it for a living. And I'd be like, but Oprah, <laughs> you know what your passion <laughs> is. You know, you got to find uh-huh. your passion. And, and I remember thinking, I mean, there's a lot of things that I am passionate about that I love to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought, if I love to do this and then I'm doing it for a living, I'm not going to love it anymore because now it's work uh-huh. and I have to meet exactly. the deadline. You know, it's like knitting or cr- uh, needlepoint, all the different things, sewing. It's like you can't make a good living doing that. You know, I, I need to do something else. And, and I right. had a good job. You know, I was making good money, but I just wasn't happy. You know, corporate America wasn't the place I wanted to be. And uh-huh. I used to think about that all the time. And I remember – just thinking that and wondering how do people get to do that. So when I was reading your book, I was like, okay, plan your exit strategy. That's easy to me. Quit. You know, just quit. <laughs> you know, take a leap of faith. That's, that's pretty easy. You know what you got to do. Loving the job you've got is seeking out those things within your job that you love to do and really being mindful of them and cherishing them and, and doing them really, really even more, like immersing yourself more and then just doing the other things to get through to get to that point because that was the fun part of the job. And I remember mm-hmm. learning early on that uh, I remember um, a woman told me that she didn't like her job anymore because her boss took everything away from her that she thought was fun. And when she, I said, well, you've got to talk to him and tell him that. And she didn't want to. And finally she did. And when she did, she realized, he realized that, oh, he can't decide what somebody's fun is because he thought she wouldn't want to have done those things. So she uh, got those things uh-huh. Yeah. So she got those things back on her plate, but she was too timid to ask the question. So to me, if I can figure it out on my own and and ask questions and say to somebody else, can I get help, which the first two I could, that's Uh great. But the third one is like, how do you figure out your passion? Have you figured this part out yet? <laughs> um, actually, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I mean, it's a it's a great question because it hung me up for a long time too. And, and I have to say, like in my earlier years, like I mentioned, my wild and wacky career path, um, which I won't even. Well, if we have time, I'll go into it. But let's just <laughs> suffice it to say, like I did made like you know four major career changes and dozens of jobs within those. But you know, there were periods in that long journey where I did things that were more conventional. Like you know, I, I read books like What Color Is Your parachute. I went to a career counselor to try to figure this out. I took aptitude tests. Um, Yeah, those books about like, oh, find your passion. So I read all that stuff. I I mean, I read everything and I tried all the tests and and I just still kept, um, I mean, I got some good stuff out of that process, but I just would get stumped. And the whole passion question really stumped me because it was either, you know, either I could identify like multiple things that I really love to do, but then that left me more confused. Like, well, what do I do? You know, or sometimes I would kind of feel like, well, I'm not really sure. You know, I'm not sure if I'm actually passionate about anything. So what does that mean? Um, and, and what I found in my own process was that actually once I shifted the frame from passion to actually looking at um, the phrase I use is core intention, things really felt much different for me. So the more I learned how to identify what my core intention is, um, and that's kind of synonymous with what's your purpose, you know, what is it that's your gift to offer this world? 
when I focus on that, so it's more of a why question instead of the what. You know, passion is about mm-hmm. what you love to do. And core intention is, well, why? Why is it that you love to do that? Um, and everything changed once I made that shift. And the other thing that's beautiful about focusing on intention rather than passion, it becomes much more flexible how you live your how you live that out in your professional life. So, you know, you don't have to get so obsessed about, like, I have to get this job title, which is, you know, the same as my passion. If I don't, I'm not going to be happy. You'll be amazed. You know, once you really hone in on that core intention, you can actually find ways in almost any work situation to really pull that to the top and express that intention. So it's not so dependent on a specific job title, which I think is really, you know, especially in the times that we live in, we need a lot of flexibility around how we work and where we work. Uh, So I think the core intention gives us that much more than this, you know, line of question around passions. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's hard to, because then you're pigeonholing something and you're thinking, well, what am I passionate about? And you're only focusing on that. What finally mm-hmm. got me where, to be out of corporate America was figuring out, well, it was my husband getting transferred to New Jersey and dragging my butt here unwillingly. And, you know, so <laughs> that'll do it to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, and I had to find something, so I did. Uh, but I love to learn, and I never thought uh-huh. And then have, knowing that I love to learn it was something, well, what do you love to learn? So I didn't realize I was asking the questions in the way that until I read your book, I was like, oh, my God, I actually did this and didn't know I was doing it. Mm. <laughs> it's so good to see mm-hmm. it in a book to help people who don't know because I didn't know. I could have used this book 20 years ago. And, right. you know, I, I was asking the questions, well, what, what do you love to learn? What do you love to do? What is it that you want to create in this life? You know, what do you want to leave behind? What's your legacy? And I started doing the work that I currently do. But then uh-huh. somewhere along the line, something shifted, and I ended up doing another thing as well. So I do two different things. And uh-huh. they're not similar, but the questioning. When I was reading a book, I'm like, these questions are so good. This really makes people explore what and, and, and be truthful with who they are and what they're looking for. That's what I loved about your book. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, and I, you know, I sometimes tell people when I'm doing book readings, like, I, I actually don't think this book is for everybody, right? Because not everybody's interested in that, <laughs> you know, and that's totally fine. So if somebody's really just looking for a book on how to write a resume and, you know, get a certain job, like, this is not that book. Uh, but it is right. a book, I think, for people who are really curious about themselves and are willing to, you know, reflect back on their life and really imagine new possibilities. So it really requires, I think, actually a lot of the reader. So it invites you to really get engaged in your own life in a way that, um, you may not have done before, or, or maybe you have, but it's just like you're saying, like the questions are a little bit different, so it gives you like, you know, a new way that's a little bit more precise to look at this question. But, you know, I, I looked at it as, okay, I know this is work that matters, and it's to help you find your, you know, your livelihood. And everybody seems to be finding or wanting to find their calling, you know, why am I here? What am I meant to do? What's my soul's path? Very few people know from childhood what they want to do in life. And the rest of us kind of muddle through until we've, you know, done enough different things or had an opportunity that pops up or we stumble upon something or actually guided to do something and are aware enough to follow that guidance. But sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a hobby that makes their soul sing, but it doesn't develop into a job per se but uh-huh. to me, that counts as f- fulfillment, even though it's not a liberated-based livelihood. It feeds their soul in the same way, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think, right? 
Yeah, I would totally agree. And I feel like one of the things I try to do in this book is to um, to help people just redefine what work can mean and really, you know, put mm-hmm. it in a, a larger framework. And, you know, I think back a lot. I think one of my – another formative experience came later in my life. When I was in my early 30s, I got to spend about oh, close to a month in Bali. Um mm-hmm. And I was in the little village of Ubud, which is where a lot of the artists are. I mean, the whole island is full of artists, right? And actually, mm-hmm. you know, in Bali, there's not even a separate concept of art. It's just part of life. And, you know, every morning I would wake up and I would go and have a cup of coffee and, you know, sit on my little veranda and I would look out at life on the village. And I would just watch the flow of every day and what people did there. And it was fascinating to me because um, it was so different than what I was used to back here in the States. But I would watch and, you know, in the morning there would be a group of women who would come out and I'm not really sure why it was the women who always did like the hard work there, but that's the way it was. So they would go out and they would be working in the fields or they would actually be working on the roads. Like they would be doing road work and moving stones from one place to another. So they were out there doing hard work, um, but they had their kids with them. In the middle of, you know, a couple of hours of working, everything would stop and the kids and the moms would stop and they would do a puja, which is a, a religious ceremony in Hindu, um, and then they would be laughing. So it was just kind of like this beautiful flow of, you know, what here in the States I would call like, okay, well, there's work, there's worship, there's family and play and leisure time. But where we have it all kind of boxed off and segregated into different parts of our life, they were just doing it, you know, all of the flow of one day. And so I came back and it really, that just left an impression on me. It's like, how could I live my life in a way that's more seamless like that, where I'm not, you know, trying to struggle to find balance between work and family, but really that it can all flow together. Um, So I think some of the book anyway was informed by that experience and really just trying to offer people a different way to think about work. And definitely, you know, if you have a hobby that you love, you know, maybe you're in a band um, and you love music and it's not not where your livelihood is coming from right now, but it's something that gives you a lot of joy. You know, maybe there is a way to actually bring that more into the stream of your livelihood. So that's part of what the book is about, like some strategies Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, But it's also, you know, maybe that's fine. You know, maybe your day job is what it is and it's totally neutral and you light up at nighttime when you go play in your band and that's, that's what works for you. So it's just really honoring that we each have a different pathway to find what that means that, you know, pathway towards fulfillment. And we never know where anything is going to lead. I mean, some of the strangest things have led me to some of the greatest accomplishments. And I thought, wow, I did not see that. And then once you see it and once you acknowledge it, you end up, it's almost like it just happens. Automatically you become more aware and more mindful and you spend, I mean, the name of the show is. But once you start seeing that awareness come to fruition in ways that you didn't imagine, you become mm-hmm. more and more aware, and I think, too, hand-in-hand hand with that goes gratitude because gratitude, mm-hmm. once you start being grateful, you get more of the things that you're being grateful for, and things, the abundance just starts coming to you. You're just abundant in every possible way, and people don't believe it until they actually experience it, and I think the mm-hmm. truth is the same is true of awareness. Once you're aware of something mm-hmm. and you realize, oh, I didn't see that coming, You know, you realize, okay, well, maybe I can extend myself a little bit this way and not expect anything. But that's when things Uh come back to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, You know, there's that wonderful saying that you've probably heard that enlightenment is an accident and practice makes us accident prone. 
Yes. Yeah. And everything <laughs> so is a practice. I, think, I mean, yeah, what you described is that. It's like the more, and again, yeah, just about anything can be a practice. So whether you have a gratitude practice, you know, or a sitting meditation practice or yoga, the more that you do that and make it a foundational part of your life, you're really creating the conditions for these wonderful, you know, synchronicities to come about that wouldn't have happened otherwise. But we And we can't know what they are until we create that ground for them to happen. Right, and and let's face it, life is practice. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Well, hopefully it is. I mean, I think that's actually not true for everybody. I, I mean, I do think that practice requires us to be intentional about something. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people go through life and don't actually hold that perspective that it's practice. It's more like it's just a grind to them. Uh, but it, it transforms yeah. into a practice when we hold that intention, like, okay, whatever this is, I want to learn from it, I want to grow, and that's what makes it practice. And the other thing is that, you know, in reading your book, and again, I know it was all about, you know, helping people find their livelihood and stuff, but I, I looked at it a little differently because I believe that everything, I mean, truly everything is spiritual. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from that perspective, it's how you look at mm-hmm. it. And I try to look at every, everything in life is per, in that perspective. But we just sometimes find it challenging to see, to see it or to feel it, I guess. And work is as well. And when we begin to practice our spirituality in all the moments, the right things present themselves to us. And we find we're following or rather we're in alignment with our soul's path. So that Mm -hmm. includes our work, which no matter what the job is, is also spiritual. You know, and our work takes up most of our life. We spend hours at our jobs, more of that days at work than with our family and friends. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, I just what are your was listening to you. Just, yeah, I mean, I was just enjoying listening to you because I think you expressed it beautifully. Um, yeah, everything is spiritual if we see it that way, and work is a vehicle for expressing that. Um, again, not everybody's going to see it that way, but I think if you right. are willing to hold that perspective, you get a wonderful gift in return for that. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I think so many things, and especially, again, your background, you know, maybe because I read, a lot of people pick up a book and read the book. I usually start at the back and read everything on the back about the author uh-huh. and what people had to say, and then I, I always read the foreword. I read everything. I just read the whole book, every printed thing, you know, except maybe the copyright <laughs> page, because <laughs> I want to learn. I want to know more, and I think that helps to set up the book as well if you know somebody's background, and, you know, the fact that, You've done Zen practice, you know, and you've, you're training in anthropology. These things matter to how you put things out in the world, how you present to the world. And that background helps mm-hmm. to present in a way that if people read about you, I think, mm-hmm. and then they read the book, they'd get more out of the book because of where it's coming from. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it was funny because when I was – in the process of writing the book, I mean, I think every author probably goes through this, but you go through incredible moments of self-doubt, like, oh, my God, why am I doing this? <laughs> and in my case, um, you know, I was just thinking about all the different books that are already out there on this topic. And you begin to think, like, what could I possibly add to this, you know? And there's some really great books that are about livelihood and finding work that you love. Um and I, I actually find this when I'm coaching people, too. This is an issue that comes up a lot because people will hit that point and they'll think, well, there's already a million people already out there doing that, whether that is like being a massage therapist or a musician, you know, or 
you know, just name it. Like somebody is already doing what you do. But the whole point, and this is when I'm coaching people, I really try to, you know, bring this out of them. Like nobody's going to do it exactly the way that you do it because of your life experience, because of you and your beautiful soul and who you are. So that's what really I think gives us, um, you know, that's part of our purpose in being here is to show up exactly as who we are with all our gifts and with our soul bright and shining out. And that's going to be really different for each of us. So I appreciate that you take time to read that in the back matter of the book. Well, yeah, because to me it makes a difference where it's coming from. You know, it, mm-hmm. it makes a difference as to whether I'm going to purchase a book or not, to be honest with you, because if the person right, yeah. doesn't have much experience, I'm like, well, how can they write on this? I don't know what they're talking about. You yeah. know? But it, <laughs> Oops. Sorry, I'm just getting a buzz on my side. Hello? I'm going to try to call back in. Hello. Hey, T, if you can hear me, I'm all I'm hearing on my end is a loud buzz. I'm going to try to call in one more time. Hello. Hello.
Thank you.